please let me add my welcome and to you online and to each one of you here this morning in the sanctuary. Uh, we, we all come today with a thankful spirit, uh, which is good. And uh, I want to thank also the uh, people that participated today. Uh, it just it felt so good to be able to sit and to enter into the worship and experience here this morning and uh, see all the different participants uh, that have uh, shared in our experience of worship. I've been, as, John, as, as Pastor Josh mentioned, I have been teaching through the Gospel of John. I'd invite you to turn there as I uh, introduce the message today. Uh, we're in John 18. Our Savior has gone through two types of trials, or will go through two, two types of trials. He went through a civil trial, or he's going to go through a civil trial, but he has already gone through a religious trial as he uh, stood before Annas and the Sanhedrin. And now we're moving to the point where he will go to the civil trial in which he will stand before the Roman governor of Judea by the name of Pilate. Um, in the music that was selected today, we, as we sang the song, He is Lord, we, we sang that he suffered while he was here on earth. And in the confession of faith that has uh, stood the test of time, yeah, the, the Apostles' Creed, we're reminded that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. This was uh, civilly a trial, but spiritually this is part of the suffering that Christ Jesus went through for us to be under uh, the investigative gaze of Pilate. And ironically, it shouldn't surprise you, it's happened ever since uh, Christ entered the garden. Actually, it ends up to be Pilate that gets judged and not our Savior. Pilate had one job, and he failed. Pilate's task was to convict Christ, convict him of sedition, of treason, of civil unrest and civil disobedience. That was his task. That was a task that was worthy of capital punishment under Rome. He had faced the trial, the religious trial, where he was uh, uh, examined for blasphemy, but blasphemy required stoning. This Jewish crowd wanted execution by crucifixion. The question that I hope to answer today is why couldn't Pilate convict Jesus of treason? There's a short answer, an easy answer, one that we can all just assume to be true is there was no evidence. He was blameless. But there's a deeper answer to that question. It's the answer John is going to provide in this text. The reason Pilate could not convict Jesus of treason is because Pilate had no category in his mind for what is known as the kingdom of God. Please understand, Jesus admitted to being a king. That's treasonous. And Pilate could not convict him because he absolutely had no category in his mind of what the kingdom of God is. It made no sense to him. Pilate knew that Jesus was a king. He knew he was a king of something. In fact, you'll recall later in the story the Jews came to him when Pilate had a sign put on the cross, King of the Jews. They said, 
just amend that, please, to read, he says he's the king of the Jews. I said, no, king of the Jews. Problem is that Pilate had no category for what it is to experience and believe the kingdom of God. And that's the, really the question that we all are going to end up with this morning, asking and answering. Do we understand what the kingdom of God is? This morning I'm going to uh, go through the story under four headings. Four headings. If I was a graduate of Dallas Seminary, I would pass with flying colors because of these headings, because they're short and alliterated. And only those who have experienced Dallas homiletics would know what I'm talking about. First of all, I'm going to talk about Pilate's failure. Secondly, I'm going to talk about Pilate's friend. And thirdly, I'm going to talk about Pilate's frustration. And fourthly, I'll talk about Pilate's finding. Would you pray with me? Our God. How important it is for us not to fail to understand that you are king. You are a king of a kingdom that none of us are born into this world that can comprehend. All of us at one time, and perhaps even this morning, maybe there's some listening in, maybe there's some in attendance this morning, have no category in their mind for a king in a kingdom that is, belongs to God. Lord, by your spirit, would you punch through our ignorance? By that I mean, would you cause some people listening today to be born again? For that is the only way we can see the kingdom of God. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make the book that we're reading today live to us. Show us yourself and your Son and your Spirit in the book. Show us ourselves in this book. And help us to see and delight and treasure in the Savior that this book speaks about. And cause this book to live, I pray, for your glory and for our good. Amen. Would you turn to John 18, if you haven't, and verse 28. John 18 and verse 28. And we'll read through to verse 40. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate enters his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, 
Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you above me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to truth, to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. As I've done on other occasions, as I've preached this narrative of the passion of Christ, I've also included the testimonies of Mark and and Matthew and Luke. And I'll do that today, and I'll make reference to that. To start with, Matthew 27 records that when the high priests had made the decision in the religious trial that Jesus was guilty and took Jesus to Pilate, Matthew records that is when Judas went to the uh, Sanhedrin and pleaded uh, that they take back the money that he had been given for betraying Jesus. And the story goes that when they uh, wouldn't return the money, he threw it on the ground, and then he went out and he committed suicide. Then Jesus was led to the governor's headquarters. As I said, his name was Pilate. He, had, he was appointed by Tiberius in AD 26, and so he has been serving as governor for about seven years approximately. My first point is Pilate's failure. Pilate's failure. Pilate steps outside of his headquarters to meet this crowd. And the scriptures teach us that the reason he does that is that none of the Jews were allowed in his house because it was Passover. By the way, that does not mean that it was Passover that night. That means that it was Passover week. It was the period of the Passover. Lord had already eaten the Passover with his disciples as far as the meal goes, but it was a week-long celebration. It's like some of our children, you know, they end up having a birthday week, some maybe a birthday month. Um, This means that at Passover time, the Jew would defile himself to go into the home of a Gentile. And so Pilate meets outside. Don't miss the irony of this. Don't miss the irony of this. In fact, the more I read and study and my life becomes the gospel of John, the more I get involved, I see the ironies that John brings out of the story. Here they are so careful about their holiness, and they're attempting to try the very Son of God. What are the charges that they lay before him? Well, Luke is the one that gives us help here in Luke 23. He says, number one, they are charged with misleading the nation. Number two, he is charged with forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. And number three, 
saying that he himself is the king, meaning he's making treasonous statement. He's causing civil unrest. He's actively teaching civil disobedience, and he's claiming himself to be king, not Caesar. That was the charge before Pilate that day, according to Luke. As I said, the Jews wanted a death penalty. They wanted crucifixion instead of stoning. And then don't miss the editorial comment in verse 32 that John brings. Never miss editorial comments. It's like a parenthesis. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he said these words, as Moses is lifted up, uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. In John 12, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Even back to Deuteronomy 21, where we read, cursed is one who hangs on a tree. And Paul picks that up in Galatians and says, that's speaking of Christ. He bore the curse for us. So please understand that behind the evil motives and intentions of people is the intentions of an all-wise God working all things according to his will. Don't read the story as if these Jews, on their own decisive, determinative will, decided to, to execute Christ rather than stone him. This was foreordained and predestined by the one who is the determining cause of all things. And John wanted us to make sure we see that. This was to fulfill. So Pilate then decides to have a private conversation. It's not really clear. I hope I, my sense is right. Because what I picture is the crowd outside and Pilate outside, Pilate hearing the charges and then going back inside. It clearly says that. And I hope Jesus went in. <laughs> I, you know, some little thing in me just loved to know that Jesus went in the house and kind of looked back and went, nah, 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 nah. Anyway. That was free. There was no charge for that little levity. So he has a private conversation with Jesus, and he, and he goes into his headquarters. They're accusing you of saying you're king of the Jews. Are you? And Jesus is thinking, is this coming from you, Pilate, or are you just repeating what they're saying? It seemed that it was the latter. Pilate was just repeating what the crowd says. And Jesus answers the question with a little bit of instruction on the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to pick that up as an application, but don't miss it for, for now. Pilate didn't understand the kingdom of God. He didn't have a category. Pilate did not have a category for what existed beyond this world. He was a materialist in every sense of the word. He had no category. He didn't understand this concept. But Jesus said, Pilate, I came to testify to the truth. If you were part of the truth, you would get this. If you were part of the truth, you would understand what I'm talking about but you're not. Pilate seemed to look at Jesus as some sort of abstract thinker, somebody uh, who's a, just a philosophical pundit, someone who is just an academic, an intellectual that just rambles around with ideas and philosophies. 
And so he makes the decision, I find no guilt in him. This is Pilate's failure. His job was to convict Jesus of treason, and he failed. He couldn't do it. I find no fault in him, verse 38. My second point is Pilate's friend. John doesn't refer to Pilate's friend. Luke records that when, when, when Pilate said, I find no fault in him, Luke records in chapter 23 that the people got stirred up again and said, yeah, but he's teaching throughout Judea and Galilee, even to this place. He's teaching these things. And I'm thinking that when Pilate heard Galilee, he goes, ah, Galilee. I got a friend there, or I got a, I got a colleague there whose name is Herod. And guess what? Herod is in town in Jerusalem for the Passover. Why? Because he was a believer? No. Because the Passover was a threatening civil experience for Rome. Thousands upon thousands of people there. So like what would happen in a, a civil uh, problem in, say, Edmonton, that perhaps they would call Calgary for some reinforcements. So Herod is the Petrarch, the governor of Galilee. He's in Jerusalem at this time. And so Pilate says, hey, I'm going to send Jesus to Herod. Herod's the guy that beheaded John the Baptist, if you, by the way. Now, here's where I want to invite you to turn to one of these uh, uh, parallel passages. Luke 23 uh, because it's interesting what goes on with Jesus as he is in, uh, in discussion with Herod. So if, if, if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke 23, verse 6. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he, that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he heard about him. And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length. But he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. They arrayed him in splendid clothing. He, he sent him back to Pilate. And here's where I get my second heading from. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. But before this, they had had enmity with each other. Although this ruler of Galilee was overjoyed to see Jesus, hoping for a sign, hoping for a wonder, hoping for a miracle, after ridiculing him, Herod sends him back to Pilate. And then we're recorded that Herod and Pilate became friends. Two political foes had become allies in the unjust execution of Jesus. Both Herod and Pilate found Jesus innocent. Both Herod and Pilate oversaw the execution of Jesus. You say, Pastor Jim, I wonder why you're making such a big point of all this. The answer is found in Acts chapter 4, when the persecuted church is praying. In Acts chapter 4, verse 27, we read, for truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, 
both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The early church understood that the combined political force of Herod and Pilate is what was necessary for Pilate to eventually execute Jesus without any basis, because he had a friend in Galilee, a political ally, someone who could come alongside and support him in case the emperor questioned the decision. Pilate failed at getting a conviction. He did win a friend. Thirdly, he became very frustrated. Pilate returns to his headquarters. And by the way, it's about that time when Pilate's wife sends a message to him and says, have nothing to do with this man. I've had a dream, and I have suffered much from my dream. Don't have anything to do with this man. Pilate, sadly, did not listen to his wife. So he tries another tactic. He goes back to the crowd in verse 39 of John 18. He goes back to the crowd and reminds them that Rome had a custom. They did this just to appease the people and keep the people happy. They had a custom to release a prisoner, a Jewish prisoner, during the Passover. Pilate reminds the crowd of this. And he suggests to him, as we collect the witnesses of the Gospels, he, he suggests to him this guy Barabbas. And you know the story as well as I do. The crowd being stirred up by the chief priests called, We want Barabbas. And what will we do? What will I do with Jesus? Pilate said, asked. And they answered, Crucify him. Crucify him. Not this man. We want Barabbas. All the gospel writers indicate that Barabbas himself was an insurrectionist. Barabbas himself was, had committed multiple crimes. He was a murderer. But John emphasizes, remember I pointed out the irony that John likes to play on? He doesn't fabricate truth. He takes the truth and points out the irony. It's John who records the fact that Barabbas was a robber. And as you fast forward and as you picture Jesus on the cross, who was on either side of him? Two robbers. John wants us to catch the irony of that. And one of those robbers came to faith in Christ. And then we read in back to Luke 23, and you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. The, the Pilate, having heard that they wanted uh, Barabbas released, said to them again, well, what evil has this man done? Do you see his frustration? He's trying to get Jesus released. I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. So Pilate says, guess what? I'm just going to punish him and release him. But the crowd with their voices prevailed. Crucify him. Crucify him. So what was Pilate's finding? My last point. Again, I'm reading from Matthew 27. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged 
Jesus. He delivered him to be crucified. That's his finding. I am delivering an innocent man to be crucified. And then the horrific sentencing of Jesus now commences, and God willing, in another week, we'll look at the horrible process of sentencing that went through, went, was given to our Savior. But I told you that I wanted to look more carefully at Jesus' answer, because I think it's applicable for us today. Remember that Jesus was being tried on the basis of sedition and rebellion and so on. And in verse 36 of chapter 18, Jesus said, answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would not have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus answers Pilate with two negatives, and these, this is what I, I find to be very significant and very relevant for us this morning. He first of all says, my kingdom is not of this world. By that means, by that he means, my kingdom is not like this world. Please notice, he did not say, my kingdom is not in this world. He said, my kingdom is not of. My kingdom is not like this world. He then gives an example. He says, if my kingdom was like this world, my servants would be fighting. My servants would be fighting. That is a, that is a characteristic of worldly kingdoms is you get what you get by fighting for it. Jesus says, that's not what my kingdom's about. That's not the way we do business. That's not our modus operandi. That's not how the kingdom that I belong to works. We don't, we don't achieve our goals and aims through violence or other methodologies that kingdoms use. It's not like the world's kingdom. My kingdom isn't like Caesar's kingdom that would literally march in somewhat like the Third Reich and moving into Poland and just taking over. We don't, we, my kingdom doesn't work that way. My kingdom isn't like Pilate and Herod, two political uh, foes who find a common evil cause and then become friends. That's not how my kingdom works. My kingdom is not like the way the Jews rule. That's what he's saying. My kingdom doesn't operate on that basis. Let me say it this way, and I know you as mature believers, you're gonna, this is going to click with you. He's, he's really saying... My kingdom doesn't use worldly weapons. And right away, your mind is going back to 2 Corinthians 10, where we read the words of Paul, who says, we do not war as the world wars. We do not, our weapons are not carnal weapons. The weaponry of the kingdom of God is prayer. The weaponry of the kingdom of God is proclamation of the gospel. Jesus admits he's a king. But his king, kingdom is not like a worldly kingdom. This should cause us as believers, no matter what topic we're talking about, are we adopting worldly methodology to try to accomplish spiritual gain? If we are, we're in trouble. 
Are you hearing this? You're allowed to be Pentecostal at least once or twice on a Sunday morning. Do you see this? That from Jim McClellan to every one of you, we need to stop and evaluate. Is, is my approach to this, this problem, this spiritual problem, am I using the methodology of the world or am I using the methodology of the kingdom? Jesus said, my kingdom isn't like this world. Secondly, Jesus said, my kingdom is not from this world. Two very important words, not of the world and not from the world. In other words, the origins of the kingdom of God do not find themselves originating in anything on planet Earth or this universe. The concept of the kingdom of God isn't about time and space and geography and countries and nationalities and cultures. The origin of the, war, of, of the kingdom of God is otherworldly. Now, here's something that I have come to understand, and, and, and you're free to go and test my thesis. It is this very point that should have scared Pilate to death. Actually, it, it pacified him. My kingdom's not of this world. He just wiped it off. That should have scared him to death. Because if Jesus had had a kingdom that was similar to Rome, Pilate could have stood a chance. Rome was a pretty mighty kingdom. But as soon as Jesus said, my kingdom's not from this world, that should have scared Pilate. Because when you're dealing with a kingdom that's not from this world, you're first of all dealing with an eternal kingdom. Okay? Watch my words as I walk you through this. If it's an eternal kingdom and had no beginning and end, it must be a perfect kingdom. Are you hearing me? If it's a perfect kingdom and could accomplish anything it wanted, it must have been an all-powerful kingdom. And if it's an all-powerful kingdom, then every other kingdom is in subjection to it. Could I get an amen from that? That should have scared Pilate. You know what my mind is thinking, but I won't say it in pulpit. It should have scared him. It didn't, because he didn't understand it. He had no category. He had no category for a kingdom that has existed since all time. As Pastor Josh had prayed, the triune God always was, always existed, always manifested his attributes, all time. The fact that it was not from this world, that it, was a, it originated in eternity, that it's absolutely perfect, absolutely all-powerful, it's also all unchanging. His kingdom never changes in its character. Its kingdom doesn't do political transgressions, uh, trans, uh, uh, transactions. It, the kingdom of God isn't in the business of trying to make deals with other kingdoms. Should have scared. Doesn't say that there. I'm just thinking that. You test that. See if, see if I have half a clue or not. Pilate should have been scared. He should have wilted in fear to stand before a kingdom that exists apart from this world. Far above Rome. Not bound by time or space. But you see, Pilate had no category for a kingdom like that. It made no sense to him. He kind of pictured Jesus as some kind of an ancient philosopher that came in out of the desert that just rambled off on intellectual statements and made no sense at all. So he ended up with what is truth. What is truth? 
But those of us here this morning and those of us listening online who have been born again of the Spirit of God, who are of the truth, we understand this kingdom. Amen? We understand this kingdom. We understand what the Bible says, that ultimately there's only two kingdoms. There is ultimately only two kingdoms. Colossians 1.13 says to the church, you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of our dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is but two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of Satan and a kingdom of Jesus Christ. So in a contextual, uh, relevant discussion that we all have been engaged in in the last 18 months, can I please tell you, as I've said before, don't be surprised to see the kingdom of Satan operating under human governments and inventions. It, it, should, it shouldn't surprise you. It should surprise you they don't. We know there's only two kingdoms. You're in one or the other. You're never halfway. We know also that the only way you can get into the kingdom of Jesus is through the new birth, to be born again. You were born into kingdom A. You need to be born into this other kingdom, this eternal kingdom. You can, you can get there no other way other than through the new birth. The life in that kingdom is described for us in the Bible. In Matthew 5, Jesus gives a great amount of teaching about what life is like in that kingdom. And he says, in this kingdom, people mourn for sin. In this kingdom, people are peacemakers. In this kingdom, people are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In this kingdom, people are generous and without drawing attention to themselves. People in this kingdom build their lives on the word of God and obedience to it. Do I have to go through all Matthew 5? If you want to know what life is to be like in the kingdom, the one that in a minute I'll say you belong to, go to Matthew 5. We also learn that this local church, emphasizing local, Elk Point Baptist Church, is according to Philippians 3, verse 20, an embassy of that kingdom. Think of that for a second. You, my brothers and sisters, gathered here today, you are here because the king of the kingdom has said, I want an embassy in Elk Point to serve this community and this area. I want a place that looks like the kingdom in the midst of a kingdom that you don't belong to. The preacher in Hebrews 12 says that we're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You really believe that, church? You really believe it? The kingdom of God is not going to be shaken. It's an eternal kingdom. It's perfect. Human beings cannot touch it. Man's inventions cannot change it. The devil cannot demolish it. It's an eternal, indestructible kingdom that you're part of if you've been born again and a child of God. And in this little Kingdom 101 course that I'm giving this morning. You all know that Revelation chapter 11 reminds us that in the, in the future, in God's future, 
all these kingdoms of the world will become the kingdom of God's Christ, his holy son. You see what Pilate missed? <laughs> Do you see what Pilate missed? Three hundred and fifty years later, after Jesus was in front of Pilate, the entire Roman Empire imploded. Only three hundred and fifty years. I remember as to some of the other gray hairs around here. God bless you all. We're part of a unique club. I remember when the kingdom of Matsitung imploded. I remember when the Soviet Union imploded. Many of you remember when the Berlin Wall came down. Some of us are old enough to watch the gradual decline of the British Empire. And if you have eyes to see, you are witnessing today the decline of the American Empire and all Western countries associated with it. I rarely make political statements, but there you go. But there is a kingdom that is infinite and will last forever. And those who are of the truth know it. So the question I ask you this morning, to hear in the sanctuary, to those listening online, my question this morning is, which kingdom do you live in? That's the most important question that we have to answer. Which kingdom do you live in? When you evaluate your heart, which kingdom do you spend most of your time, money, and energy serving? Which kingdom gives you the greatest pleasure and delight? Which kingdom would you be willing to sell everything you have to find it? For those in the kingdom of God, please don't be surprised when you talk to people who are your neighbors and your friends in the community and they don't get this because you have to be born again to see it. But for those of us who are in the kingdom, our question is, does our life exhibit citizens of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus brings the question down to a very simple conclusion. You know which kingdom you're most thinking about depending on what you worry the most about. You know which kingdom you're more delighted in by what you become anxious over. You know which kingdom you treasure. By how much concerns you have for this worldly kingdom versus a heavenly kingdom. I'm going to ask the church to bow your heads and close your eyes. It might sound like a Billy Graham crusade, but it's not. I think once in a while we ought to take time to personally take stock 
My prayer has been this week as I studied that we would not be like Pilate, clueless of these things. You're here this morning and you're not in the kingdom of God. Later, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit of God would come upon you in power and change you and make you a new creation. And if you are in the kingdom, then like me, we need to ask ourselves, what takes up most of our thoughts and our minds and our treasures and our delights? Heavenly Father, as a church, as one who joyfully and happily is called to shepherd this church, I ask your forgiveness for us because we spend a lot of time fixated on this life, on what we're going to wear what we're going to eat, how we're going to live. We're so foolish, we think that by our anxiety, we can make things different. Please forgive us. Please cleanse us from this sin of idolatry. Please help us to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. Change our hearts, O God. Make us ever new. we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and hear God's benediction? God's benediction from God's word. Luke 12, 29 to 32. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And fear not, little flock. You were a lot littler last week, but you're bigger this week. Next week may be better. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And God's people said, Amen.